Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. It was all about seeking first the kingdom of God. And I read the verse where, where Jesus literally invites us in to this journey where we seek the kingdom. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. And if you weren't here to hear the message, what things? Physical things, food, clothing, shelter, all the things that you need in life naturally, the Lord will give to you, but don't focus and worry and have anxiety about the natural things. Keep your eyes fixed on the Father. I gave you the illustration uh, with Dan. Uh, He was the father, a loving father, and his daughter, Rebecca, who loves chocolate truffles. So uh, as long as she came up on stage and kept her eyes fixed on her loving father, I, a little Holy Spirit, was putting chocolate truffles in her hands. Now, if you noticed at the end of the illustration, she started looking more at the chocolate than she did at the father. And isn't that something that we do in our lives sometimes? We look at the blessing of God and we stop looking at the face of God. And um, so I just want to encourage you to, A, go back and watch that message. Um, But I'll also say that this thing about seeking the kingdom of God, it's a spiritual thing, not a natural thing. Like, it's meant to put our focus on the Lord so we don't worry about money. We don't worry about food. We don't worry about clothes. We don't worry about cars. We don't worry about jobs. Not that we don't have to have all these things and work hard, but that we focus on the Lord, and the Lord is the one who provides. So we're not anxious with natural things because our faith spiritually is in the kingdom of God. Now, here's a small question that I didn't ask or answer last week. What is the kingdom of God? Right? If, it, like, let's say you're at work or at school tomorrow. And like you're taking your lunch break and you're reading your Bible in the lunchroom. And somebody comes up, it's like, what's going on? Like, oh, our church has taken 21 days and we're fasting and we're praying, we're seeking God because there's a Bible verse where Jesus said we should seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. And they're like, cool, what's God's kingdom? And you're like, "Um, I'm going to listen to the sermon for the next 30 minutes and I'll tell you. (laughs) How would you answer that now? But before hearing what I'm going to give you, how would you answer when a friend of yours is like, cool, seek the kingdom? What does that mean? Now, if you also remember, and if you're following us, you know, every couple of days, Josie and I will do a little encouraging thing on, on Instaface Graham book. And um, I encourage you guys to read the book of Matthew. Why? Because Matthew talks more about the kingdom of God than any other writer in the Bible. Matthew was, was fixated on the kingdom of God. Um, and I'll explain why or why I think Matthew was so into the kingdom. Because it was extremely important to the people that Matthew were writing to, us, that we understand the significance of the kingdom of God. So before we go into all that, we should just define what a kingdom is. This has nothing to do with church or spiritual or Jesus. Just the, a kingdom literally means the king's domain, the dominion of the king. Wherever the king has power and land and authority, that is the kingdom. So, um, and, and the funny thing is, in the ancient world, every nook and cranny of the world was a kingdom. Every neighborhood was a kingdom. Some king had dominion, had, had domain over some land. But today, I had to Google it, there's, there's only like three, maybe four, the world isn't quite sure about the fourth one, uh, absolute monarchs in the world anymore. Uh, most are, like we, we all think of Great Britain, it's not an absolute monarch. It's a constitutional monarch, and it has been for 500 years. The, the king today and the queen for many years didn't really have a lot of power and authority. The power and the authority is with the parliament. So, but the, today, there are a few uh, absolute monarchies. The, the three that I'm sure are, uh, of course, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It's pretty well known. The kingdom of Oman and the Vatican City, believe it or not, is an absolute monarchy, and the king and the pope is the king of Vatican City, the more you know. So... Um, So let's take uh, Saudi Arabia, for example, King Salman, and now he's 84 years old and not in great health. So they actually expect the crown prince to take over in the next year or two. Uh, But King Salman uh, is the king of Saudi Arabia. And if you look at a map of Saudi Arabia and its outline, everything that's within the border of Saudi Arabia, King Salman has dominion over. He is an absolute monarch. So 
moving on and kind of going back to the Bible, if you think about the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, it was talking a lot about natural kingdoms. Um, the, the different kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Assyria, the, the, of course. And then we talk about the, the kingdom of Israel. And Israel was a real you know, kingdom and uh, King Saul was the first king and King David was a king and King Solomon was a king. So when we transition to the New Testament and we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're no longer talking about a natural kingdom. We're talking about a spiritual kingdom, one that is greater than, than any other kingdom on earth because the king of kings, King Jesus, has dominion over the kingdom of God. Now, most people will be like, well, doesn't God have dominion over everything? Technically, yes, but there's actually even another level that we're going to unpeel that onion in a minute. And that would be, like you could say, for example, when the Jews pray, even today, they'll, they'll pray, blessed are you, king of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth, or who brings forth uh, fruit from the vine, or who brings sleep to my eyes. Blessed are you, king of the universe, because you've done this thing. So yeah, if we zoom out to the macro picture, God is king over the universe. And Psalm 103 said, the Lord established his throne in the heavens, but his kingdom rules over all. So yeah, technically God is already king of all, but if, if that's what we were talking about, that the, the kingdom of God is this macro, you know, God is, is, is king and ruler over everything, then why, I'm telling you, I think there's more. There's something more powerful, more tangible, more, more near to us, which is why John the Baptist, when he was preparing people for Jesus's ministry, he told them, you guys need to repent because the kingdom of God is near. He wasn't referring to the fact that God was king over everything. He's saying, I'm telling you, the, the kingdom of God is near. Now, that, that near, I, I've taught you guys before, in, in Hebrew, because although the New Testament was recorded in Greek, uh, John was probably speaking uh, Hebrew or the ancient version of Hebrew we call Aramaic. And there's an expression that's actually still in modern Hebrew today, and that is al-yad. Now, al is at, and yad means hand. So, so John was probably speaking Hebrew or Aramaic and saying, you guys need to repent of your sin because the kingdom of God is aliyad. It's right here at the hand. It's a lot closer than you think it is. And then turn the page one chapter later, Jesus begins his ministry with this exact same phrase, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's aliyad. It's right here. It's closer than you think it is. So Matthew, this, this, this man that wrote the book of Matthew, he was captivated by the kingdom. And he talks about the kingdom of God more than any other writer in the Bible because Matthew's, his attention was on Jesus. He recognized that Jesus was king of kings, that, that he had dominion over, over everything, especially those that were Jesus' followers. And then as Matthew's writing this, and I'm gonna show you many verses, there is an invitation for Jesus' followers to come into this pursuit of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. Great, still raises the question because you didn't answer it, preacher. What's the kingdom of God? Like, what, what exactly is the kingdom of God? How do we enter into the kingdom of God? Do we, do we carry the kingdom of God? Are we carriers of the kingdom of God? How do we pray that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven? How do we join together with the kingdom? I'm glad you asked. Let's dive in. All right, I mentioned that the, there was a natural kingdom in Israel, King Saul, King David, King Solomon, and so on. But then the kingdom of Israel, a natural kingdom, it splits in two. And then over time, the Assyrian army came and conquered the nation of Israel and killed a bunch of people and took a bunch of captives. And then later, the Babylonian kingdom came and conquered the nation of Israel. So you might think, well, there's no more kingdom in Israel, there's no more king in Israel, but hang on a minute, because the prophet Isaiah is like, listen, if you will just hang in there, God's going to raise up a new king over a new kingdom. Isaiah chapter 9 says, unto us a child is born, a son has been given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. You might be like, wait a minute, that's the Christmas verse talking about a Messiah to come and be king. And this was 500 years before Jesus. His name will be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Look at the governmental term, Prince 
of peace. Keep reading. Of the increase of his government, the peace will never end. The throne of David, throne, king sit on a throne, David was king. The throne of David and over his kingdom will establish it with justice and righteousness from this time forevermore. So for 500 years, the Jewish people are praying in to Isaiah's prophecy that there would be a king raised up from the nation of Israel and everybody mentally thought about another natural kingdom. Like today, in 1948, the nation of Israel was, was a new nation. Again, it's not a kingdom, it's a, it's a, it's a public a state. But there had not been a nation of Israel in 2,000 years. God did a miracle in 1948 by recreating the nation of Israel. So I'll, I'll, let me just say this. They were praying and believing and expecting for a king to be raised up to overthrow the Romans. Because the people in Jesus' time were under the, the heavy reign of Caesar, who was the king of the Roman Empire. And they were expecting a natural king, but God's like, yeah, I know what you're expecting and hoping, but I'm here to do a spiritual thing. And it took Jesus a long time, I mean a long time, to turn the hearts of his followers to recognize that he wasn't going to be a natural king, but that he was going to be a spiritual king. He wasn't going to go to Jerusalem and be a literal king. Now, by the way, just for you Bible scholars, the book of Revelation says that when Jesus returns for the second time, he will return to Jerusalem and he will return as king of kings over the whole world and Jesus will reign as a king over the earth from Jerusalem. So keep your eyes fixed on Jerusalem because there's more to come. Stay tuned, there's more. Um, let's go back to Matthew. Matthew's fixated on Jesus as king and he understands that Israel is waiting on a natural king but he's trying to help as he's writing and recording to get people to understand the kingdom of God is a spiritual thing. Now, Jesus understood kingdoms. Remember, uh, sorry, Matthew. Matthew understood kingdoms. Why? Matthew was a tax collector. So Matthew voluntarily rejected like the Jewish people and bowed his knee to Caesar and was collecting a tariff on every Israeli citizen under Roman authority and to pay tribute to Caesar, even though the Jews never wanted to be ruled by this pagan nation in the first place. So to be a tax collector in Jesus' day was traitorous. And it meant that you weren't believing God, you weren't praying Isaiah's prophecies, you didn't hope for a, a messianic kingdom. They basically denied their faith in, in the God of Israel, and most tax collectors in that day were, were stealing. They were taking in more money than they were supposed to. And they would give to Rome and they'd keep a chunk for themselves. Most tax collectors got actually quite wealthy. Now, we don't, there's no direct um, verses that say that Matthew was a crook, but they were all crooks, so we can kind of assume Matthew was a, a crook. He was, he was serving the kingdom of Rome. He was not praying and believing God for, to be raised up in the nation of Israel. So when the Romans conquered the land, he understood, Matthew understood, there was a new dominion in town. So he bowed his knee to the dominion of Rome. Now, at some point, Matthew, who lived in the north of Israel along the Sea of Galilee, he hears Jesus preaching. And Jesus is talking about a kingdom, but not a natural kingdom. Jesus is talking about a spiritual kingdom and the kingdom of God, and that this kingdom would supersede natural kingdoms on this earth. So when Jesus said to Matthew, hey, repent and follow me, Matthew understood that he was dying to one kingdom so that he could live for another. Matthew chapter 4, he went throughout the Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. All right, so Matthew's intrigued at the beginning of his ministry with the gospel of the kingdom. But then look what Matthew records. And Jesus healed every disease and every affliction among the people. So one of the first things we can learn about the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom of God, is that it is a kingdom of power. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of power. The kingdom of God is marked by healing, signs, wonders, miracles, deliverance. The kingdom of God is not a natural kingdom because the things that it's doing are spiritual, but then they'll also change things in the natural. When somebody's healed physically, it comes through the impartation of the spiritual kingdom of God, but there's a physical impartation in healing in their, in their bodies. Let me also just say this. If we're taking 21 days and we're gonna seek the kingdom of God, we need to not shy away from the power of God. 
We need to not shy away from the miraculous. We need to not shy away from what we would call supernatural. Do you know that there's no such thing as the supernatural in the kingdom of God? Because in the kingdom of God, miracles are normal. Like healing is normal, the prophetic is normal. Like faith is normal in the kingdom of God. We have to change our thinking as like, oh, that's a supernatural thing that God did. If we would adjust our lives to the kingdom of God, then the miraculous would be the normal things. And not seeing the miraculous would seem unusual. The next verse, Matthew chapter 12. It is by the spirit of God that Jesus said, I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is saying another sign or mark of the kingdom of God is that you have the power to, to cast out demons. And if you're not healing the sick, if you're not casting out demons, I'm telling you there is more of the kingdom of God for you to explore. Welcome to the party, pal. Like you get to come and be a part of this journey. And Matthew and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is inviting us, seek the kingdom. There's more than you think there is. And it's amazing. And the power of God is a sign of that the kingdom of God is near. Now, this next section is going to take a minute. Because the second way that we can understand and learn more about the kingdom of God is through the parables. The parables were little short stories that Jesus would tell to the crowds of people, but really only his followers are the ones that understood the message. Because Jesus was constantly talking about the kingdom, but he didn't want the secrets, the mysteries of the kingdom to be given to all the people that don't believe. So the way he, in fact, Jesus rarely spoke about the kingdom of God without using a parable. So if we're going to understand the kingdom of God, we have to look at all of these parables because if, if we will learn and study and understand the parables, we will peel back all these multiple, multiple layers of the kingdom of God, of its righteousness. They're secrets, but they're secrets that are not hidden from us, they're hidden for us. The disciples, some, like early in Jesus' ministry, I'm going to read it to you from Mark chapter 4, they didn't get it. They didn't understand the, the parables. And one time they went to Jesus alone, just the 12 disciples and JC, and they were like, hey, dude, what's going on with the parables? Like, we don't get it. And in verse 11, Jesus responds, he said, listen, it is permitted for you guys to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. Church family, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God. But Jesus is saying, listen, I'll use parables when I, I talk about all of the things about the kingdom so that the outsiders don't understand our secrets. So there are mysteries, there are secrets that we need to unlock to understand the kingdom of God. But most of those, especially in the book of Matthew, Jesus uses parables to explain them. It's, think of a, uh, an Easter egg. Like th there's Easter eggs in the front yard and parents take the time to put them out there and put little coins or chocolates or, you know, toys in the Easter eggs. They're, like when you hide an Easter egg, unless it's an 18 year old, you're hiding it in broad daylight so that the kid can find it, right? Like you want, you hiding it, but you want them to find it. The mysteries of the kingdom of God are hidden for you, not from you, because Jesus is inviting you to seek first his kingdom and figure out the mysteries of the kingdom to understand, to unlock the power of the kingdom. So oftentimes Jesus would say, how can I describe the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God would be like a lamp. And remember, they didn't have electricity. The only source of lamp would be like a candle or an oil burning lamp. He said it would brings light that cuts through the darkness. He said, yeah, the kingdom of God is like a lamp and you should not hide a lamp when you go to school, when you go to work. That would be stupid, right? You should put that lamp up on a pedestal so that you can shine your light in the darkness. Yeah. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Don't hide your light. Be a light in the darkness. How else can I describe the kingdom of God? Jesus would be like, okay. Now, we're not an agricultural people. We live in a metropolitan city. But in the ancient world, everybody was agricultural. He said, it's, it's, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who had some seeds. And he went out and he sowed some seeds. And some of those seeds fell along the road, the path. And... There was no dirt for those seeds to grab, so birds came and ate those seeds. And the kingdom of God is like some seed that gets put into this rocky soil. There's a little bit of dirt, but a lot of rocks. So the seed sprouts and it puts down a root, but then it hits a rock. And because its roots weren't deep enough, it dies. And some of the seed was spread over here into a thorny, weeded area. And yeah, the seed took root and it grew down and then it propped up, but the weeds came and worry and anxiety and fear and sin choked out that seed. 
The kingdom of God is also like a farmer that sows some seed in good soil and there's no rocks and there's no weeds and that seed goes down deep and puts down strong roots and grows up a big harvest of fruit for the Lord. Yeah, that's what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God. So examine yourself, by the way, if you don't have deep roots and if you're not producing great fruit for the kingdom, there's an invitation to jump out of whatever dirt you're in and jump over into the good dirt. Jesus says, how else can I describe the kingdom of God? Well, it's kind of like that, another farming analogy. It's kind of like a harvest of wheat, but there's also um, enemies that hate the harvester that would come and put weeds in his land. So the servants come and they're like, hey boss, the wheat's popping up, but now there's all these weeds popping up too. Do you want us just to burn the field? And the owner of the field says, no, let's let them both grow up together. I'll let them both be a part of the same church. I mean, same field. And then when it's time for the harvest, I'll cut them all down. I'll separate the weeds and I'm gonna burn those weeds up and then I'll keep the wheat for myself. Jesus says the, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts out really small. But if you let that thing, it'll grow into a giant tree of faith. How, how big is the mustard seed of the kingdom in your heart right now? Because it's supposed to be growing big and strong. We baked some bread or cinnamon rolls over the holidays. Jesus said, you know what? How can I describe the kingdom? It's like yeast. You just need a little bit, but once it gets in, the kingdom's gonna spread or the kingdom is supposed to spread into every aspect, every part of our lives. Jesus said the kingdom is like a treasure that's hidden. So there's a guy who's just, he's walking through a field and he, he trips across this treasure and he, he, he digs down and he sees this valuable treasure. So he doesn't take the treasure, he covers the treasure up, he goes home, he sells everything, sells all of his stuff, sells his house, sells his cars and his donkeys, and then he goes and he buys that land so that he could have that treasure. Getting that treasure was more valuable than all the possessions that he owned. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Which leads to the next parable. Jesus is like, I'll tell you the kingdom of God. Now we are of course you know, into diamonds and all that, but in the ancient world, a pearl was like a diamond. It was the most valuable um, stone. And he's like, the kingdom of God is like the most valuable pearl. And once you see that valuable pearl, you go home and you sell everything so that you can buy that pearl. That nothing in this life matters as much as the kingdom. Jesus said, I, I know what the kingdom is like. I'll, here you go. You guys are all living in the north of Israel. You guys all live around the Sea of Galilee. By the way, if you want to visit the Sea of Galilee, we're taking a tour of Israel November 7th through the something 10th. The webpage is built, but we don't have the final price nailed down, but it'll be released this week, hopefully. Come with us to Israel in November. We will show you the Sea of Galilee. If you'd like to see the nation of Israel sooner, I'm throwing a giant curveball for whoever's on the computer. Could you show me the Jamaica slide? Don't move the teleprompter because now I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. Um, you know we're going to Jamaica over spring break, right? Um, there's a, a church down there that we're gonna help build. The problem is they're not quite ready for our team to come. So we're like, cool, 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 no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. What do we do? Who's already got an active construction site going around the world? And then the Holy Spirit reminds Josie, her parents have a ministry center in Israel that is literally under construction and being remodeled. Why don't we just take the Jamaica team to Israel and help out there for a week? Now, we're not gonna see the land of Israel. We're not gonna see the Sea of Galilee. We're not gonna see any of the sites. We're still taking the big tour in November, but our Jamaica team is going to Israel in six weeks to help serve Josie's parents and the ministry center that they're remodeling there. And I, can, I so needless to say, I jumped on the trip and I'm just so excited. By the way, we've already closed registration and closed it off, but when I, if I said that and your spirit leapt and you're like, I'm supposed to go on that trip, Talk to me today and don't drive away from this building without talking to me or Josie or Ira or put it on a connect card because we've already bought the plane tickets. Like it's a done deal. And don't go on this expecting to see Israel. You're not gonna see Israel. You're not gonna see the Sea of Galilee. You're not gonna see nothing. 
you're just going to go and work for a week and tiling and painting and cabinets and stuff like that. It's just a remodel. But if you feel in your heart you're supposed to go, I think the trip is like 1800 bucks. And we're probably going to need to take up an offering, by the way, so prepare your hearts for next month before we go because it's a lot more expensive to minister in Israel than it is in Jamaica. But I know that you guys want to be a part of that and give anyway. So just put that on your thing. All right, where was I? Back to the Sea of Galilee. Jesus said, I know what it's like. The kingdom of God, it's like a giant fishing net. And you take that fishing net and you drag it through the Sea of Galilee and you pull up all of these fish. And there's only a few fish that are worth anything. So you pull out the good fish and you throw out all of the, what Jesus referred to as wicked fish. And then also, of course, you got to remember this is an agricultural land that people lived off of eating sheep and goats. Kind of in the same way we eat a lot of cow, they ate a lot of sheep. And Jesus is like, I got it. The kingdom of heaven is like a good shepherd. And he had a hundred sheep. And one of those sheep wandered away. So the good shepherd left the 99 sheep in safety and he went and pursued the one that wandered away. So maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're like one of those sheep that wandered away and you think that Jesus has forgotten about you. I'm telling you, he is a good shepherd and he is hunting you down. He is pursuing you. The kingdom of God, I like this one. The kingdom of God is like an unforgiving servant. And Jesus tells this story about a king who's feeling generous and starts forgiving people their debts that they owe to the kingdom. And this guy came in and he owed a giant debt to the king. In fact, the king probably should have killed him for it. But instead, the king is feeling super generous and he forgives this guy's sin, I mean, sorry, debts. But then turns out the guy who had this giant debt forgiven, he's walking along the road and he sees a guy that owes him like a dollar. And he has the guy that owes him a dollar like arrested and beaten and they're going to court. And the king finds out and he's like, dude, what are you doing? Oh, this guy owed me a dollar. He's like, yeah, but I forgave you like a million dollars. You're a jerk. And he, he killed that guy too. <laughs> the point is, forgiving, if we've had our sins forgiven, we should forgive other people. It's a big part of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, man, how can I explain to uncommon church the kingdom of God? Got it, got it, got it, got it. It's kind of like somebody that owns a vineyard and then he hires these laborers and I'm gonna set their wage and the first guy in the morning is gonna make, you know, whatever, 250 bucks for working in the vineyard all day. And then he hires a guy at like, it, let's say quitting time is five o'clock. He hires a guy at 4.45 and he offers him $250. And the guy in the morning is like, woohoo, I'm gonna get more money. And he gets $250 because that's what the owner said he was gonna get. And then he also chooses to bless the guy at 4.45 with $250 for a day's labor. And he's like, wait a second, we get the same thing? And he's like, yeah, because the people that got born again a thousand years ago, they received the eternal gift of heaven. When we die and go to heaven, we're going to receive the exact same gift that they received a thousand years ago. Let's move on. Two sons is what the kingdom of God could be described like. A guy owns a vineyard and he goes out to the first son. He's like, hey, dude, can you go work in the vineyard, you know, pulling off the grapes? And the first son's like, ah. Uh, no. And the dad leaves and the son's like, ah, fine. And he goes and he works in the vineyard. And then to his second son, he's like, hey, dude, can you go work in the vineyard? And he's like, oh, sure thing, dad. And he was faking. He didn't mean it in his heart. Jesus said it's actually going to be the worst sinners are going to make it into heaven than religious people that don't believe it in their heart. Jesus is like, dude, how can I describe the kingdom of God to you? All right, all right. It's kind of like a tenant farmer, like a farmer that rents out the whole farm and then he takes a piece of the profit. I'm gonna send my beloved only son to go get my piece of the profit from my tenant farm. But when the guys saw the son coming, he's like, dude, let's just kill the son and then we can own the farm. And they kill his beloved son. That was Jesus giving a little bit of foreshadowing to the cross. Back in the ancient Middle Eastern world, they would have a huge wedding feast when somebody was married. And it could last, you know, four or five days, a whole week of celebration and, and eating and, and the two families really coming together between the, the bridegroom and the bride. He said, man, I tell you, the, the, the king, and in his story, 
the king, his own son, is getting married. So the king takes the royal banquet hall and he converts it into this huge wedding banquet. It's gonna be a giant celebration to celebrate his son's wedding to the bride, his pure and spotless bride. And he says, call all the noble people, call all the religious people. And they decline, they RSVP, uh, no, we're going somewhere else that day. So the king, you probably know what's coming, had all them killed. And then he went and invited all the homeless people and all the poor people into the royal palace to celebrate. Because that's just the kind of king he is. And that's the kind of kingdom we're a part of. Everybody's welcome. And he noticed there was somebody in the royal banquet hall at his son's wedding banquet that was faking it. When he weren't wearing the right clothes. So the king had that guy bound hand and foot Can we just talk about the little obvious side note in all of Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God? They're pretty savage. Like, I think the kingdom is really intense. It's a lot more intense than most Christians think it is. Like, the average Christian never thinks about the fact that almost all of Jesus' parables, somebody's dying for not... We just picture Jesus in church as like cupcakes and rainbows and happiness. It is if you're a follower and a believer. If you're a faker, there's a lot of being bound hand and foot and cast out to die. The kingdom of God is like two servants. One servant is faithful and serves the master. The, the, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, the master goes away. So the, the, the guy's like, listen, I'm leaving. I'm going to give you guys these tasks. You do the tasks. The master leaves, returns to heaven. One faithful servant just keeps working, keeps grinding, keeps leading their U group, keeps serving on that team. No matter what, they're faithful. The other one starts out strong, and then after a while they're like, when is the master coming back? I am so sick of serving on this dream team. I just can't possibly serve another Sunday on this team. Oh my gosh. And you know what? I'm gonna just leave, and I'm gonna go to a church that doesn't make me serve, or I'm gonna go back to my old life and back to sinning. And then all of a sudden the master returns and he blesses the faithful son. It was a big deal to, um, when you were bringing a, a marriage party, all of the families together, and young virgin girls were celebrated. Their purity was celebrated. Could you imagine a culture where purity in young women is celebrated? And oftentimes, I wanted to say something so smart, but I won't. Oftentimes, at these wedding celebrations, it would be when the next marriages were arranged. So these young women would take the time to look good, like you wanted to get invited to the wedding because you wanted to get the best husband. And it wasn't a falling in love and it wasn't a dating app, it was the fathers would trust which son should be with which daughters because could you imagine a culture where families are so close that fathers and daughters and sons trust each other? That sounds crazy, right? By the way, I'm open to an arranged marriage for my daughters. So just. So these virgins got invited to the wedding supper. They got cute and they had cute outfits and they were pure and they had all their hair and makeup. They were, it was working. But the bridegroom was like, dude, I don't know when I'll be there. It could be late. You might have to wait a while. So you should bring a lamp with plenty of oil so that you can hold up your lamp and get picked up when the groom goes by and takes you to the party. And as nighttime came and it started getting dark in our culture, I mean, in their culture, Half, five of the 10 girls were like, I don't, I don't have enough oil in my lamp to, get, to make it through the night. And the five other girls with plenty of oil were like, mm, sucks to be you. <laughs> you better go find some oil. So the five girls leave and they go try to find some last minute oil when all the oil stores are closed. And then the groom comes by and he picks up the five girls that have their lamps ready for the wedding party. And Jesus actually explains this one in, the, in verse 13. He says, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour of the groom's return. Jesus says, how else can I explain? Are you guys done with this? We're not done. I, when I get done, then we're done. Just hang in there. How else can I describe the kingdom of God? Oh, I know. It's kind of like gold coins. It's kind of like, you know, giant $100 bills. 
The kingdom of God is like a master who has three servants, and he gives five gold coins to one servant, and he gives two gold coins to another servant, and he gives one gold coin to another servant. He says, all right, fellas, you do you, but it's your responsibility to make that money work for my kingdom. And then he leaves for, I don't know, let's just pick a number, 2,000 years. And then he returns, and the first guy has doubled the king's money, and that five is now 10 gold coins, and the second guy took that two, and he turned it into four gold coins, and the last guy was like, I just buried it for you, here you go. And he returns to him, and he's like, how dumb could you be and still breathe? You could have at least put it in the bank and gotten interest, but you did nothing with it? So take from that guy and give it to the one. He's saying those that, that do something with what I give them, they're actually going to get more. But the one that sits on their blessed assurance and does nothing is going to get thrown out. There's more, but that's all of the parables in Matthew's gospel, and we're not going to crack Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew wanted to make sure that he recorded all of these parables. Why? So the 2,000 years later, we could know what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus wanted his followers to understand the kingdom and then understand that it is, it is hidden, but it's not hidden from the church, it's hidden from the world. And it's these Easter eggs, these Christmas presents. I remember one time when I, in Christmas, my parents, uh, I opened a little tiny like ring box and it was like, go to the pantry. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I was like eight or nine, this was exciting. So I run to the pantry, open the pantry. There's a medium, you know, next box. And it was like, hey, bup, bup, bup go to, you know, your sister's bedroom. So I run up there, blah, blah, blah. And there's another box for me. And I open that box. Like an hour later of searching the entire house, there's a brand new bike in the basement with a bow on it. Now, as a parent now, 40 years later, my parents just didn't want to wrap a bicycle. So it was easier to do a treasure hunt around the house. <laughs> like who wants to wrap a bicycle? But, by the way, we gave a coffee table to our daughter because when your kids are adults, they get coffee tables for Christmas. So I'm like, well, let's just put a bow on it. This one wraps the coffee table. I get the whole coffee table, so. I was taken on a treasure hunt. My parents wanted me to get to the end of that thing. They wanted me to discover the bike in the basement, but they took me on a journey of discovery. Church family, I'm telling you that as we seek first the kingdom of God, as we seek the king and his kingdom, it is an invitation that's right in front of us to understand. That's why he gave us these parables. Now, let me just warn you, and I have to warn you. You saw how many parables had a steep warning for people that didn't take kingdom searching seriously. And it wasn't like, a boy, you didn't make it. Like all those people died in Jesus' parables. Like Jesus is kind of savage with people. Like, oh, have you ever heard on the news or like on social media, people describing Jesus that don't know anything about Jesus? They're like, Jesus would never say that. Only thing Jesus ever said was things of love and sunshine and happiness. I'm like, you've never read the Bible. Just read the parables. And Jesus is like, do it my way or die. Can I read you a scary verse that I don't like, that I didn't pull out, but it was not part of a parable, but it's in the middle of the parables? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, yeah, not everybody that calls me Lord is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those that do the will of my Father. Because on that day, there's going to be many people in the church that say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Wasn't I on the prayer team? Didn't I go on the mission trip? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do other mighty works in your name? And Jesus is going to say this, yeah, but bro, I never knew you. Depart from me. You're a worker of lawlessness. You need to hear my heart. I'm serious as a heart attack. As a pastor of this church, I need you to take seeking first God's kingdom extremely seriously. It is literally a life and death issue. It is an eternal life and eternal death issue because there are some people in the church that are gonna die and go to hell. They attended church. They even served on prayer teams and performed miracles. But Jesus said, yeah, depart from me. I never knew you. You can't just add a little bit of church to your life. That's not seeking the kingdom. Most Christians have never prophesied or cast out a demon. What, what, what kind of situation are we going to have? He's talking to people that had done miracles. He said, yeah, but I never knew you, so you get to go to hell. We talk about it in Growth Track. By the way, today's Growth Track 1. So if you want to join a super happy, fun church like I'm talking about today. 
stay for about an hour after church today. Josie and I will meet you at the end of the, a classroom at the end of this hallway. And we want to spend an hour with you, get you plugged into our church for Growth Track 1. But in this Growth Track 1, I, I tell you that in the English language, we have two words for know. You can know something in your head or you can really know something intimately in your heart. The same is true in ancient Greek. There were two words for know. So Jesus was like, like, okay, you know President Biden. Yeah, we all know President Biden, but I don't know, I don't think any of us know the president. Like we don't have an intimate personal knowledge of the president. We just have this head knowledge that he is president. We could describe him a little bit. That's what most Christians are. They have a head knowledge. They kind of know who Jesus is. They could describe him a little bit, but they don't have a heart, passionate, intimate knowledge with the king. Now, the very next verse, Jesus says, yeah. So if you're building a house, build it on the rock of salvation, not on the sand. Building on the sand is easy, but storms are gonna raise up and knock that house down. You need to build your house on the rock. So in these 21 days, what are we called? We're called to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then he'll take care of all the rest. Seek first, not last. It's easy to seek social media, it's easy to seek food, it's easy to seek anger, it's easy to seek you know, getting drunk or getting high, it's easy to seek porn, it's easy to seek money, it's easy to seek ice cream when none of those things work out. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the king and his righteousness, and I'll take care of the rest. So let me ask you once again, are you really taking this seriously? Are you really seeking God? Are you really pressing in and pursuing God? Are you pursuing the king and his righteousness? All right, hop up on your feet. I guess I did it again. I wrote too much. So Hannah, slowly go. That'll work. Do you remember when Jesus was teaching the Lord's Prayer? He's literally teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, where? On earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus command us to pray that we should invite the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven if it wasn't possible to do so? One final verse that I'll just say quickly, Hannah, it's this next one. We have to define what is the kingdom and what isn't the kingdom. Because Paul told the Roman church, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Paul's like, the, the kingdom of God is not a matter of the things of this world. But the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Where? In the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not success, wealth, clothing, money, cars, hobbies, church. The kingdom of God is not church. The kingdom of God is not anything that you could throw into a fire and it'll burn. He said, seek the king and his righteousness. And how does it come? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Seek the king and his holiness and his purity. Don't look for how much sin can you get away with. Look for how much holiness and righteousness you can pursue. And then it says, through the Holy Spirit, your life should overflow with peace and joy. Be honest, examine yourself. If other people were to describe you, would they describe you as a person of overflowing peace and joy? If not, you might not be walking in the kingdom. You're walking in church, you're walking in your own life, but you're not walking in the kingdom because the kingdom of God is not natural things. The kingdom of God is fullness of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So get free from any sin that's holding you back. Forgive people that you need to forgive. Stop holding a grudge because People that are unforgiving and holding a grudge don't have peace and joy in their hearts. Be generous to other people. Give away the money that you might have. If it looks like you've been baptized in vinegar, you turn that frown upside down and get baptized in the Holy Ghost and let the peace and joy. The problem is we, we always, we, we, we so easily transition back to natural kingdom and we get impressed with big kingdoms on this earth. Wow, this is a big, powerful company. This is a big, powerful sports team. This is a big, powerful celebrity. This is a big, powerful political leader. Even in the church, we get, oh, this, this church, this XYZ church, they're so big, mega church, mega campus, mega money. What a great church. This pastor, what an anointing. This worship leader, oh, she's just so gifted from God. And we end up putting all of our focus and we, we, we naturally think the kingdom of God has to do with things on this earth. I'm telling you, there could be more kingdom of God in a 75-year-old widow that has no money and there often is 
because of faith. And she's not focusing on the things of this world. She's focusing on the things of God. The final thing I'll say, I keep having a lot of final things, but I've already got you standing, is that you have to understand the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. The first are last. The weak are powerful. We gain wealth by giving away our money. We rise up through the ranks by serving people that can't bless us back like widows and orphans. That it's a spiritual kingdom, not a natural kingdom. That the king of this kingdom took off his royal robes of serving and ministry, rabbi robes, and Jesus knelt down and he washed the feet of his followers. It's a, it's a spiritual dominion, not a physical one. You can skip that verse, Hannah. I'll, I will say this. You're a carrier of the kingdom. If you've completely surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus, every room you walk into, the dominion of the Lord Jesus walks in there with you. It's not in some distant cosmic interstellar wormhole. The kingdom of God is right here. It's aliyad, it's in the midst. It's whatever room you walk into. It's not some distant cosmic thing. You're a carrier of the kingdom. Jesus is the king of kings. You are the servant of the king of kings. So you carry the kingdom. And honestly, it, I went too long in 38 minutes. I didn't even scratch the surface of the kingdom of God. There's more power, more wisdom, more compassion, more holiness, more goodness in the kingdom of God. It could take a lifetime to explain the kingdom of God. The more I study the kingdom of God, the more I realize I don't know anything about it. It's kind of like your Bible. Sometimes people are like, oh, when I read the Bible, I don't get anything out of it. Keep reading. Because when I read the Bible, I'm like, what? And then I'm like, that, that's, that sounds like something that he said. That sounds like something that happened to her. That sounds like, like if, if you don't get your Bible, keep reading it. Because the more you read it, the more it just, I fall in love with it. The last, last, final, almost last thing, the kingdom of God is a family. It's just a big family. And you're invited to sit at the Father's table. And we're all, through Jesus, adopted as sons and daughters. We're all royalty. He is the king. We're all princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. We celebrate together. We learn together. We help each other grow. We protect each other. We fight for each other. It, it, it takes a lifetime to understand the king and his kingdom. So we all do it together. I say it takes a lifetime, but can I also just... It takes a lifetime to understand the kingdom of God. It also happens in an instant when you repent of your sin and make Jesus the Lord of your life. Does that make sense? You'll take your whole life learning the kingdom and you can also experience all of the kingdom in one moment. You just have to let Jesus sit on the throne of your heart. When he was crucified, they put a, a, a crown of thorns and he bled. They put a robe, like a royal robe on Jesus' back. They raised Jesus up in front of all of Jerusalem. It wasn't on a throne, it was on a cross. And on the third day, Jesus defeated sickness, death, hell, and the grave. And he said, forever and ever and ever, I will be king over everything. So we have to bow to the Lord Jesus. We have to enthrone the Lord Jesus on our hearts. Let me, let me give you a verse that I gave to you 30 minutes ago. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you're here this morning and there's sin in your life that's separating you from God, I need you to repent. Ask God to forgive you. Turn your life away. And don't forget the parables where people that were faking it and didn't mean it and just knew God here but didn't know God here, they didn't make it to the kingdom of heaven. So you gotta be serious. You gotta go all in. You gotta hold nothing back. You can't play games with God. There's no mamby-pamby, kumbaya, sissy Christianity. Jesus says those kind of people end up getting thrown out of the party. I love how he talks about the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the chaff, and we always assume that we're the wheat and not the chaff. We always assume that we're the sheep and not the goats. Allow Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Make sure you're right with God. Would you close your eyes and we'll pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you give us this invitation to be a part of your kingdom. And Jesus, we enthrone you over our hearts, our lives, our marriages, our money, our kids, our work, our school, our cars, our hobbies. We enthrone you, Jesus, over every aspect of our life. We hold nothing back from you. Lord, we want to experience and explore the kingdom. We want to experience your power. We want to 
press in and seek your face and seek your righteousness. Lord, sometimes we sin against you. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. We think things we shouldn't think. And I thank you that you forgive us of our sins. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you need to get right with God, if you need to repent of your sin because the kingdom is near, if you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life and the king of your heart, it might be the first time you ever prayed a prayer like this and asked God to forgive you. It might be the first time in a long time and you're like that sheep that has wandered away from Jesus, but he's a good shepherd and he is chasing you down and he is right behind you. You just need to turn, ask him to forgive you and he'll wash you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I can lead you in that prayer. I, I, I can't pray it for you, but I can lead you in that prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you this morning and you need to pray that prayer and get right with God for the first time or first time in a long time, would you shoot your hand up real high and just say, preacher, pray for me. Help me, help me pray that prayer. I see your hand over there. Is there anybody else? Shoot your hand up real high. I see your hand over there. Good, is there anybody else? Rock on. Let me talk to YouTube. Two people raised their hand and said, I'm gonna get right with God today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go all in, I'm gonna get serious. I don't wanna know Jesus in my head. I wanna know him in my heart. What if that, that's you? Just right there between you and God, wherever you are, just raise your hand and say, preacher, that's me. I'm gonna get right with God today. Why don't we all pray this prayer together? If you believe it in your heart, pray it out loud. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent. I surrender my life to you. Be the king of my heart. And I receive the gift of eternal life. Help me, Lord, to walk in your dominion, to walk in your power, to share your kingdom wherever I go. Thank you, Jesus, for adopting me into your family. Be the king of my heart, the lover of my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, for the two of you and whoever's at home online, I'm so proud of you. Golly, I'm proud of you. So proud of you. Let me give you some next steps. For those of you that are here, uh, we want you to come up and we're gonna pray for you in just a moment. If you're watching at home online, I want you to text the name, the word Jesus to 817-405-2244. All that does is send an auto response form. Would you please fill that form out and click submit? We wanna put your name on a light bulb and screw it into the Jesus wall over here. We wanna begin to pray for you and encourage you on your walk with God. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.